0: 709 on CJD. Welcome to today's Entrepreneur presented by Fuller Landau, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit, the Travis Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with my co host, Josh Miller of Fuller Landau. How are you today, Josh? Always excellent, Dan. Great. And this evening, uh, we're talking about diamonds. Uh, now, our guests are, are from uh, XSand, Erica Bianchi and Johan uh, Gian. So I pronounced that correctly. Yeah, that's correct. Bianchi. Welcome, guys. Bianchi. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry, Josh. it's it's <laughs> just it's a tradition here on today's entrepreneur that I mispronounce someone's name. So it's uh, so true guys, to form. He likes to <laughs> be true right. to form. <laughs> so, guys, first, uh, tell me a bit about your business and how you got into the diamond business.
1: Well, Xend is a high-end uh, jewelry company that was created in Montreal. Today, uh, we are still completely based in Montreal. Everything is made here, it's produced here, and um, we export it through our website online and um, through our private showroom in Montreal, as well as through a few department stores where we have a bricks-and-mortar distribution channel. We got into the diamond business actually because we were first in the pearl business. Um, Johan had had some connections through uh, Tahiti, which is where you find the most renewable and natural pearls in the world and there he had some connections with some family pearl farms where he was going over on vacation came back on vacation uh, at the time we were both university students he showed us uh well he had showed me these these pearls and it wasn't uh they weren't something i was very familiar with and so that being said we you know dove into it a little bit deeper saw the saw the potential for it and really got into it from that and that uh, that kind of led into the diamonds because they uh, they made a natural fit. Really, the colors, the rarity, they they went perfectly together. So,
2: Erica, did you have any idea you were going to get into this type of business when you were going through school or, or even growing up?
1: I think if I had known, I would have saved up a little more. <laughs> I think uh, it's it was definitely not something that I had foreseen. It was it was something that really came up because we saw a need and we really just wanted to create a solution for that need, and that need was based uh, solely on the fact that it uh, we wanted to bring in a new jewelry company. We wanted to bring in something full of life, something that always thrived to be better, something that was really um everything that a client could imagine and dream for so
2: now you now we're, we're in a radio station so nobody can see you but you're you're relatively young and in the jewelry business or in the precious gems business um people don't always equate youth and in getting into this business it's i'm sure there's a, a level of risk and there's a certain dollar amount going in was that were there any barriers to entry from an age or lack of even that lack of knowledge standpoint
3: um Absolutely. Listen, when, when you're young and you're starting any business, the risk is, is very, very high because you're working with less money than when you were 40, 45, and you actually had a lot of money and time saved up, you know, put into your business. Um, so when you're younger, people, you know, they, they tend to look at you from from a different level. They think that you're less experienced. They think that you maybe don't know what you're doing. But, you know, at Exxon, we have, especially the management team, we have a huge passion for what we're doing. So when you have the passion for what you're doing, you never stop. You're working 24 hours a day, and you can catch up to some people that actually have a lot of experience, whether you like it or not. Because um, we love what we do. It's all about the clients, all about the products. For example, our gems are all like responsibly sourced, and we we try to do everything we can, the best for the client. Now, when you start up a jewelry business or or precious gems, you have to have
2: some capital. You have to buy some of your items. Was it difficult to get started? I mean, you have you're dealing with suppliers who. Certainly, you don't have a history yet and they have to either trust you or you got to have cash up front. So how did you kind of get your first purchase and sale?
1: Well, from the get-go, we had um, we were predominantly focused on making the brand X and at the end of the day. But uh, from point A, we knew it wasn't going to be easy and it wasn't going to come very fast. And so what we did is we slowly built up a foundation placing ourselves in the wholesale market of the jewellery industry. So what we did is we went ahead. We entered all the entrepreneurship contests we could uh, from the government sides. And we, um, we really pushed through like that. We worked really hard to get recognition as you know innovators in the field of the jewelry world and we had a vision of Xand now that being said though we had won those entrepreneurship contests and there was a lot of government aid here in Quebec for us for the for this vision and for this this company X hand, we knew at first too. Even though we had received those government grants, it, it wasn't going to be like, as you said, Josh, enough to really make those first big purchases. So it was enough to, you know, give it us a bit of a kickstart. But what we did is we went ahead and we knew we would go into wholesale first, and again make our mark here in uh, in Montreal with that uh, the experience from the wholesale. So we went ahead and we made our first order with a Tahitian pearl farm. Now we didn't even think about making jewelry at this point. This was just focused basic on focus on what we could so take what we could reach and and make the best of it and so we went ahead and we made that first order with the family Pro farm where yuan had had the connections we put all those grants together our money that we had saved up and with that, and the distribution that we made with that within Canada, outside of Montreal, we, we hit regionally first, then nationally, and then internationally, selling selling those pearls until those pearls could get us enough leverage to then get into the diamond wholesale, and then from the diamond wholesale, that's when we were able to go and establish the brand.
2: Sounds like there's planning and there's luck, and we're <laughs> gonna when we come back, we're gonna talk a little about the planning side of it in that new business venture.
0: Today's entrepreneur with guests Erica Bianchini and Johan Gian of Xand It's 7:15 right now. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people. Dan Delmar, along with Fuller Landau's Josh Miller, on today's entrepreneur. Our guests Erica Bianchini and Johan Gian of Xand They sell diamonds and pearls. Uh, and the interesting thing about your business, guys, uh, one that you are you are both so young and entering this field, which I'm assuming is is pretty competitive and cutthroat. Uh, around the world, but two, the, the social responsibility angle, I think, is very interesting. Uh, no blood diamonds, like the industry calls it, right? So so tell me about, uh,
3: I, I guess, yeah, the, the conscience part of your business. Well, first of all, I, w- I want to talk about the pearls, because the pearls is actually the only gem in the world that's fully renewable. This means that it's harvested, right? But it cannot grow into an ocean that's polluted, first of all. So the area all around it, the whole context where it's harvested, has to be super clean. And then once you, you extract the pearl out of the oyster, you can it's renewable. You can you can artificially inseminate the oyster again, put it back in the in the water, and it grows another another pearl. You unfortunately can't do that with a diamond. So with the diamond side, we have to make sure that um, it, it respects basically all the UN resolutions, uh, like the Kimberley Process. It means that you cannot purchase diamonds from uh, countries that are in conflict, uh, and that list is updated pretty often. And you have to be aware of all those processes before purchasing diamonds for for several different countries.
2: There's so much to know about these gems, whether it be pearls or diamonds, and you hear about these horror stories about people buying diamonds and it's a, it's fake or it's not exactly what they bought. When you got into it, was it difficult to to learn all the intricacies of what makes uh, a pearl like you know more valuable or not? What kind of diamond? What color? Clarity? Etc. Was it difficult for you to learn? How did you gain that knowledge?
3: Well, it's it's. We started as wholesalers, so we got right. You know, we we cut through the middleman right away. We we had to deal with all the rough materials ourselves at first. So, rough diamonds, pearls, uh, all different sizes, all different. We used to buy lots, right? So parcels, and parcels were mixed parcels. We never. When you buy through middleman, it's already sorted out for you. This is where the risk is. When you buy straight from a mine or a producer or from a, 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 a Tahitian pearl farm, you know exactly what you're getting because you're there. So you learn from the people that are, you know, at, at the beginning of the of the market, at the beginning of the industry, at the base of the industry, and they basically are the, the know-it-all. They will teach you. Are they willing to teach you or... Show them the money and then they're happy to teach you. It depends on the trade. Uh, Within the jewelry industry, you have the diamond trade, you have a gem trade, you have a pearl trade. And each of these different trades, they have different attributes, pros and cons. I would say more the diamond industry, it's more like you said, it's about money talks. And if on the pearl side business, it's a different culture. And uh, these people are more person to person relationship. So it's not about the money. It's more like how long you're staying at their place for and then do you establish a relationship with their family and then they start talking to you about how what they're how they're managing their pearl farm for example
2: i i would imagine that and you know we were talking about planning before and and you know you're getting to this business and you you know a little bit about but you have to learn but it requires a lot of planning it requires like you know where am i going to get the funding where am i going to get uh the, where am i taking the next step where am i finding my supplier and i think when we come back for the break i'd like to hear a little bit about how you went about either creating a formal plan or really just following your gut.
0: Erica Bianchini and Johan Gian of Xand, our guest this evening on Today's Entrepreneur. Today's Entrepreneur, our guest this evening, Erica Bianchini and Johan Gian of Xand. And Josh, uh, a couple of people who sell diamonds, but in a very responsible way, which is uh, refreshing.
2: It's very refreshing and, and you know, to, not to not to dwell on Yo-an's, uh earlier comment about artificial insemination <laughs> of pearls because I'm sure we can have a whole show about that. We want but, the
4: YouTube video. <laughs>
2: but if we come back to the planning behind it, the the you know the a lot of people talk about it, a lot of entrepreneurs talk about business plans, they don't always follow through with it. In a, in an industry where you, where you guys were really learning it, you were getting it new how important was a business plan? for yourself. I mean, you went to go to get some grants or funds. It, it must have been part of that process.
1: Well, you know what we've always believed that uh, failing to prepare is preparing to fail and if you don't go ahead and you make a plan you're you're running around with no compass you have no idea where you're going or where you're going to end up so i think the the idea that you can just kind of jump into it without a business plan is doable you can sometimes go with your gut feeling but we work a lot more on you know focusing on the analysts and and our gut feeling as well and uh, for us the most important part of the business plan has always been and will always be the managerial section because our team is everything. Our team is is what makes XN XN, and it's what's going to really drive that passion into the right direction and turn it into a company that can that can grow and and profit and and really and give back in so many ways. So that's always been very important to us. Um, another thing, just basically, uh, just to kind of reflect on the you know the no blood diamonds and. A directly source gems uh, it was always within our plan to make sure that we stuck to those those ethical values but um, it's it's a lot more difficult than people can imagine you you really you find yourself sometimes almost wanting to adapt to your surroundings and you, you seem unreasonable to others when you don't because they, they sort of expect it. People expect you to just adapt to the way things already are. Um, but uh, that would make us unreasonable because we refuse to adapt. We're, we're sticking to our values and no matter no matter what it's going to take, it's, uh, that's where we're going with it.
2: The original business plan that you did, how closely did you stick to it?
1: And how many
2: changes have there been since?
1: Right. Well, it's adaptation. You're always going to, you know, you'll hit some pitfalls. Uh, There'll be a few things that need to change there you know there's certain sections that will be completely revised erased and then redone and that's a, that's completely normal if if you don't adapt then you you you're stagnant and that's not something we plan on being so we've always uh, there's a few things that we've always had to tweak um we had a good vision of where we wanted to go and that's that's remained uh, that's remained quite uh, quite within line but um, as far as the details, for sure, there's a lot of adaptation and, you know, a, a new innovation comes in. You think of something great and something new that you're going to incorporate and you make it happen. You make it uh, whether whether the business plan's been done, you have to retype, you, you stick it in there and you, you make sure.
2: Did you rely on any outside advisors when you were preparing this plan?
1: Well, I think for us, uh, mentorship has been so important because as you said, we're relatively young mm-hmm. and so we we really do have to, you know, almost use our brain like a sponge and whatever we can pick up from, from those wiser and those with a bit more experience than us, we really try to pick it up. And for us, criticism is the best thing that we could ever receive. And constructive criticism all the better but whatever it is that gets thrown at us we use it we we really turn it into lemonade and add the pad we've been really lucky lucky with because it's it's put us on the right track
2: dan entrepreneurs and ego sometimes it's good sometimes it's bad but when an entrepreneur keeps their ego in check and knows when to accept as 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 uh, Erica said constructive criticism that can help that's that's when they become successful
0: entrepreneurs and how do you survive how do you thrive in an industry when so many of your competitors are maybe a little bit shifty. We'll talk about that after the news. <laughs> 7.35, welcome back to today's Entrepreneur, presented by Flo Landau, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. Dan Delmar along with Josh Miller, my co-host of Fuller Landau, and our guest this evening, Erica Bianchini and Johan Jeanne. They sell uh, jewels from uh, Xand. And we we're talking, guys, about, uh, you know, some of the, the social responsibility aspects of your business, which I think is really interesting. Uh, two friends of mine recently uh, proposed to their girlfriends, and they were combating a lot of skepticism, which I think is pretty common in, in industry. People are scared about where the, the diamonds are coming from, if they're real or not. How do you guys um, promote your brand? How do you maintain a level of uh, honesty and credibility when so many of your cohorts in the industry uh, maybe have some, maybe there's some trust issues there, let's just say.
3: Well, I wouldn't say so many. I would say the majority, they try to do respectful business. And, um, you know, everybody in the, in the jewelry trade is, is a small family. So we know exactly who's you know, dealing some sh- let's say shady items, and some people that are dealing some very clean and uh, gems that are like responsibly sourced. Um, it's for for us. It's all about you know our our job uh, as um, the people that go and get it. Uh, it's 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 my I feel like it's my job to go ahead and give everything that I can, like in terms of little single every single little bit of information I can give to the client. I have to do my research and I have to be truthful about what I find. And if I don't feel like the story about that gem is a, is a, is the a story that sticks together then I don't even consider to buy it. Um, generally people try and, you know score on some, on some, on some items and it's not what we're looking for here. We're really looking for a quality item at a good value for the customer and to cut all the intermediaries, all the uh dealers for example. So you're, you're become a little more vertically integrated? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's uh it's, we started as wholesalers, so for us, it was kind of like a natural upgrade to just kind of like it, be vertically integrated. But I realized that some, competi- some of our competitors, they, they did the opposite. They tried dealing with dealers before, then reselling, make, making a higher markup, and uh, uh, we kind of skipped through the middleman, basically, by selling to the product. Yeah.
2: Now, now we glossed over it. You, you said you moved away from wholesalers and, that, and you're more retailers. Why the shift?
1: Well, for us, it was—it was almost that exactly like Johan had pointed out. It was a natural shift. It was. We we had these, you know, we had Mother Nature's most beautiful gems, and we were we were able to to really resell them and to be able to put them in the hands of others that were gonna, you know, as as much as we could hope, you know, we're almost sending them off into the wild, and we hope that people are gonna really emphasize the natural beauty of it as much as possible. But we really, after realizing that we had a knack for for choosing the right ones, we we also saw that our team had the knack for designing the best we can say the best way to encompass the the beautiful features of those gems and so that's what i mean when i say it was really a natural process we saw we saw an opportunity to be able to to really work around that gem and highlight the gem and that's what i would say really differentiates xand from a lot of other jewelry companies it's that we don't make the design and then pop in the gems we we grab a hold of those gems we see the natural beauty in them and then we embellish it as much as possible so we work the design around that beauty and we encompass it and we make it so that our clients can can really appreciate the value and wear it with uh, with a lot of integrity and that's what You know, we stay engaged and very honest with our clients and we do that through XN.com as well as through our showroom and through our distribution. And that's the way that we stay very open with people, that's uh, what you see is what you get.
2: Now from an operating, a business standpoint, and it sounds like you've gained a ton of knowledge along the way, have you ever, do you vet your customers? Have you ever been taking advantage of any customer or supplier? What have you learned in protecting
3: yourself when Mm -hmm. you're selling? Well, it's you. You can always there's you can do anything to protect yourself. But at the end of the day, if there's a crook, <laughs> he's gonna get you because he's just as smart as you. Sometimes, I can give you a little anecdote if you want. Uh, uh, about when we just started, maybe two years ago, two years and a half ago, we were doing a trade show in uh, the Vegas jewelry show, which is a big, big international fair, and we had a stand there. We were, at this time we we're just wholesaling pearls, and this gentleman comes over, very well dressed, uh, ready to make a purchase of several thousand dollars. And so pays by check, but when somebody pays by check, we have to check the, the credentials. So call the bank, make sure that the bank account is valid, that there's funds in the bank accounts. Also, we look at their, the ID of the person. Everything checked out. At the end of the day, nothing checked out. <laughs> the, everything was fake. The ID was fake. The passport was fake. The bank was fake. So when Even we, the person that you called. Yeah, exactly. So we called the bank to get some credentials from the banker, and the banker was part of the scam. So how do you, how can you, you know, you can't protect yourself sometimes. So what have you learned from that? Have you
2: changed any of your internal processes to well, to check out uh, these perhaps uh, not wanted people?
1: Well, one thing, I, I walked into the CJAD offices and the first thing I see is a poster on someone's wall that says what 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 is easy what is easy doesn't doesn't last and what's what lasts doesn't come easy and I think that's one thing that we've really you know we've always understood as well it's that sometimes if it's too good to be true you know it is Mm -hmm. and it's better just to take the safe route you know you're better off to be cautious you you can't expect uh it's not going to be riches overnight it's going to be a lot of you know it's going to be a lot of grinding to get to to where you want to get and don't it's not going to be easy and so that what what the exam team had experienced that time in vegas was something that we really encourage our team to understand and learn from so it was probably the best example that could have been set for people it's that if something seems a little or if it's a little bit off you're better off just to take you know take the precautions and that works in every industry it works in every field it's um you know it's you're gonna have to work for it
2: (laughs) it must make insuring your product all that much more important you know there's businesses out there that that insure their products and and movement all the time but in the jewelry business i suspect that it's it's got to be your number one priority is make sure that your goods are insured how does it work so specifically or especially in 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 your business
3: well it's it's very specific insurance for that type of trade because uh for example some of our competitors or us it's it's a seasonal business so sometimes you your safe is full of stuff and sometimes it's i want to not say empty but it's there's <laughs> less so like the value in your item and your safe could go from like several millions of dollars to like lower lower hundred thousand so for an insurance company it's not something steady so how can, how do you pay, how do they evaluate the prime? What what are you paying? It's very hard. so you're in constant communication with your with your insurance broker, and he lets you know you know if you're for example allowed to cross the street today with an item because are your insured today or in the area was there too many robberies in the area for you to get out this you know to go to the bank for example carrying some diamonds, it, he lets you know those types of things, and if he's if you're allowed you pay a certain prime for just going across the street with your with your stock. Um so it it's just it's a very close relationship with your insurance company because you're you're just dealing with value all the time. You're always dealing with value. But at Exxon, you know, it's there in jewelry it's a very specific business because you're selling items that can resell easily, like gold, diamonds, and pearls. Yeah. They're gems, they're precious. But you're also sent sent uh selling sentimental value because you're selling jewelry that it's 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 gifts. It's to make people happy, right? So when I have a, you know, when the safe is full and you don't feel like it's only money, you feel like you're 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 doing something good at the same time.
0: Do you get nervous? Do you have too much inventory? No, that's
1: no. a good thing. That's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, essentially, you know, I I know that for a lot of companies, it's a sitting on too much inventory is a nightmare because it's you know it's too hard to move but in the type of economy they were in right now we actually see more and more people veering toward hard assets as uh, you know items that they're gonna keep in their portfolio and and use as investments and so being in this industry has also allowed us to to hold an inventory that can easily be cashable as you would say and it can be used as investments and it often is particularly uh... for for just w- what's going on right now and we see it more and more and people want tangible assets and so to be in this kind of industry where we're dealing with a lot of tangible assets which is it's uh, advantageous if anything
3: especially the natural colored diamonds they're they're very uh, like a hot item right now for investors you actively I mean as
2: most entrepreneurs do you have to actively manage your inventory what do you keep what do you not keep I imagine with the value of inventory, with the value of items that you have, it becomes that much more important because it's not as if, you know, you have unlimited resources.
1: Well, our team is able to really distinguish between I would say you know items that that uh, that move easier, like items that have a bigger turnover than others. And uh, the X10 is really able to sit down and go through it. Uh, they go through it on a regular basis. We want to make sure that something. We don't want anything collecting dust. That's one thing that we do not do. You'll never see a drop of dust anywhere. Not just because we're neat freaks, but <laughs> because it's uh, it's just it's not something that we we would even want to be in uh, for various reasons. It means that if that item's collecting dust, it's that there was maybe a flaw in the design and we want to really make sure that we're creating beautiful pieces for for people who can really appreciate them so sometimes the items are transformed sometimes we use we'll actually unset certain diamonds we'll unset the pearls and we'll use them into other designs we have no problem transforming uh, we'd much rather that than dump any stock nothing no stock is ever dumped in that sense so
2: and as we know, there's there's an absolute marketing aspect. You got to get your name out there. You want people to know your your goods and where they can get them. And when we come back, I think we're going to explore that.
0: We'll talk about online retail with Stephanie Darwish of Fuller Landau after the break. Business people Dan Delmar, along with Josh Miller of Fuller Landau, and our guests this evening, Erica Bianchini and Johan Gian of Xand. Uh, they are in. An- a retailer they sell uh, diamonds and pearls and we bring into the conversation uh, Stephanie Darwish at fuller i to talk about uh, the marketing aspect Stephanie and uh, very interesting in this business in particular because you're dealing with uh, with some expensive merchandise of course uh, tell us about uh, what what you would uh, uh, I guess um, advise clients uh, to do if they're trying to get into online retailing
4: um, well everything that I'm seeing right now and all the newsletters I'm getting are talking about how important it is to have a, a mobile site so for your for the for the tablet and for the smartphone, and especially because um, the holiday season, even though it's not even Halloween yet, but the holiday season is upon us, how important it is for online retailers to make sure that their mobile site is up and running for that holiday spending.
2: Is it really different from their regular website?
4: Uh, y- it can be, yeah. I mean the navigation is, anyways. Just when you open, I have an iPhone. When I look at my iPhone, the screen is two inches by four inches maybe? I'm not too sure. But it is much smaller than my desktop computer. So an easy to navigate site is really important. And I think on the smartphone, most people are looking up information. So when are you open? What's the phone number? Where's your location? But on the tablet, people are buying. Like 36% of people last year bought their holiday shopping on uh, tablets or smartphones for that matter.
2: Erica and Johan, when you went and developed your website, is is this part of the thinking? Like, what did you first do when you said, "I got to market, I got to develop a website, I'm retailing online"? Does this enter into the picture?
1: Well, three years ago, when um uh, when Xand was started online, uh, it wasn't as popular to be buying off your mobile phones because now tablets are. Tablets are actually included in that mobile sector and at the time there, there weren't many tablets out there and so not as many people were buying off of their smartphones, whereas now today it's mandatory. We see more and more that people are buying through their mobile. We can actually see through Google Analytics that um, on x the majority of browsers and buyers are purchasing through their mobile phones. They're looking at the website through their
4: mobile phones, whether it's a tablet or not. Exactly. So it's definitely important. Exactly. So. It's just trying to get, and if your site isn't um, already optimized for mobile, then there's tons of ways to do it easily yourself. Or if you're about to build a site, I would go ahead and build it, making keeping mobile in mind. And we're, if you're building a site on WordPress, Drupal, or Joomla, there's plugins galore that allow you to do that super easily.
0: Are people buying diamonds and pearls uh, on their cell phones? Is that something that's happening? <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, first you have to show it to your spouse, exactly. your better half and say, hey, do you approve? And
0: then you can click.
1: And you can click uh, buy, say, now. <laughs> buy now. Buy you're, now. Dan, you're just there to buy now. You understand? <laughs> Purchase now is the only thing that you need to touch. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, today's Entrepreneur with our guests, Erica Bianchini, Johan Jean of Xand, and Stephanie Darwish of FullerLando talking about online marketing. Uh, we'll get their piece of advice for Today's Entrepreneur in just a little bit. 7.56 on Today's Entrepreneur. Our guests this evening, Erica Bianchini and Johan Jean of Xand and Stephanie Darwish, I'll the land out here to talk about online marketing. And when
2: we're talking about, uh, I guess, the, the mobile website versus the regular website, there's got to be something about the ergonomics and the look and the navigation. Steph, maybe you can kind of guide us a little bit on what to do from the mobile side.
4: Good question, Josh. Um, I think for a mobile s- site, again, I'm using the iPhone example because I, I like my iPhone. Um, it's scrolling up and down. So on my desktop, I have this big square rectangular surface, but my iPhone is really, it's a long, plain surface, I guess you can say. So uh, the order should be up and down, kind of like a Tumblr theme, if you're familiar with Tumblr, everything is is uh, vertical. And then the other thing, of course, and this is really just, I guess, again, applicable to Apple devices, is the uh, no flash, because... That kills me. Kills me when I try and go shopping on a website or to look at the address and it's all done in Flash. I can't see anything. And I don't advocate the wars between Apple or Adobe, but try to make your site Flash free just for that.
0: So you, you you would rather have no Flash on your site than lose out on the Apple people's business?
4: Well, there's HTML5, so. Ah. <laughs> so there are, there, there are options. There are options. You don't really need Flash, but I, don't, I do like Adobe products. Adobe don't send me hate mail. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Now, as we as we come to the kind of the the balance of the show, the end of the show, you 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 guys, uh, Erica and Johan, you you've experienced quite a bit in such a short period of time. But if you can give each of you one piece of advice to today's entrepreneur, what would it be? Well,
3: uh, I would say that um, every single mistake you make, if if it's a mistake, or let's say like you go off off the beaten path for a bit, you have to turn it into your your advantage. You have to. Take every situation possible that that you know life throws at you, and especially in in business, you have to be able to switch it around to your to your advantage. That's the only way you're gonna grow, and you're gonna grow fast. Um, if you dwell on on mistakes, or if you if you go off the beaten path, and you you think that it was you know lost time, it's never lost time. You have to learn from your mistakes, and you have to be able to make the best of it. And that's that's my advice to uh, aspiring entrepreneurs.
2: Thanks, Johan. Erica.
1: Well, I think mine, and I just thought this up right now, I swear, is pee-pee. And that would be be passionate and persist, persist, persist. They're the, two, they're the two things that'll really get you through it. You have to persist. It doesn't matter. Take no, turn it into a yes, no matter how many times it takes you. And just be passionate because if you're passionate, it's going to show. And people are going to, they're really going to respond well and they're going to be engaged and they're going to be very responsive. So pee-pee.
2: And I kept hearing pee pee. Anyway, <laughs> and, and and Dan, you know, my takeaway, and certainly we we I've spoken about, and we've heard so many stories about perseverance and passion. But the one thing I'll take away from today is, uh, and it was mentioned earlier, is the adaptability, the ability to change, the ability to recognize change, the ability that it's it's an absolute necessity when you're running your business, uh, whether it's beginning, middle, you're mature, you're young, you're you know it, you don't know it you got to be receptive to change. If you are too static, you will not succeed. And I think that's something that Erica and Johan have, have learned to a great degree, and kudos to them on that.
0: Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Stephanie from Fuller Landau and you. Erica Thank of you. Johan Thank you. Uh, from XN. Thanks very much, guys. www.flmontreal.com is the website. Today's Entrepreneur, every Monday night at 7 p.m. on Newstalk Radio, CJAD 800.